All right. This is the Conversation Cannabis and Christianity podcast. My name is Miguel Torres, and I am your host. And our special guest is out of Victoria, British Columbia, Canada. It is Ted Smith. Ted is a big Boy Scout. Constantly helping others in need, Ted has successfully advocated human rights for decades, founding the country's oldest compassion club, Canada's oldest compassion club in 1996 he has played a large role in the battle to to the for the legalization of cannabis since moving to victoria british columbia in 1995 to start the international hempology 101 society ted has been at the forefront of cannabis activism he is the author of hempology 101 the history and uses of cannabis sativa he was the publisher of the cannabis digest newspaper canada's largest publication on the subject for almost 10 years since seen in the movie Kid Cannabis, he has organized cannabis conventions across the country, across the country of Canada, coordinating and participating in approximately 3,800 rallies, meetings, events, press conferences, and other events. Ted founded the Victoria Cannabis Buyers Club in January of 1996, which is the oldest medical cannabis dispensary in Canada, with over 8,500 members. After his employee, Owen Smith, was arrested baking cookies in 2009, he helped manage the case to unanimous victory, victory at the Supreme Court of Canada in 2015, making cannabis edibles and concentrates legal for patients. Over the years, the VCBC and its facilities have been raided seven times, but have beaten every criminal, criminal charge in court using various constitutional arguments. He took a few years away from the Victoria Cannabis Buyers Club to care for a patient activist he fell in love with, Gail Quinn, and he created a tea company, Gail's Tea, after she died of cancer in 2016. Currently, Ted is focused on getting Health Canada to give the VCBC a temporary exemption from the Cannabis Act to provide high dosage edibles to patients, something the club has provided long before legalization. After two raids by the Community Safety Unit, he and the club have been fined close to $6.5 million. Upon receiving this exemption through either political or judicial means, it is Ted's goal to create integrated palliative care facilities with cannabis and other medical plant medicines being grown and processed on site for cancer patients. So Victoria, so from Victoria, British Columbia, Canada, how you doing, Ted? I'm doing very, very well. Thanks. Thank you for having me on the show, Miguel. Thank you. <clears throat> Thank you for being here because I know you got a lot going on. And uh, I'm not going to go over all that right now because you know more about it than I do, obviously. <laughs> that is quite a bio, man. That's that's quite a bio. And with that, the first question is this. What was going on in your life when you decided to walk in that direction of medical marijuana well um i grew up in ontario not far from michigan um but uh i am seven generation farmer on both sides dairy farm and i started university in economics and math to become a chartered accountant at wolford laurie university in waterloo and uh about halfway through, I had a little bit of a mushroom trip that uh, opened my eyes a little. And uh, from that point forward, I really began to learn a lot more about myself and uh, the world around me. 
kind of starting with fresh eyes. Um, I like to use the quote from Yoda in Star Wars. He said to Luke at one point, you have to unlearn what you have learned. And so uh, I was uh, lucky to have some amazing philosophy professors who I followed religiously just about at, at school. And uh, they helped me uh, understand my experience and, and who I was uh, uh, in ways that, uh, yeah, were very profound to me. So I ended up with a philosophy degree and then uh, started writing books, um, various genres. But uh, I thought when I moved to the West Coast, I would be writing books and, and actually moving to Japan to teach English because with the philosophy degree, there aren't really a lot of options out there. So that was the plan. Um, but, the plan was to, to move to Japan and teach. And teach English, yeah. Because I had, you know, philosophy, economics background, so that would have done my, me very well over in, in Japan, where those subjects are, are highly regarded. And, uh, yeah, I thought it would give me a, a chance to experience the world. I grew up in Ontario, which really didn't uh, show me much of the world. Uh, and so... Uh, then I came to Vancouver and uh, went to a group with Hempology 101 that was being organized uh, over there. And uh, I fell in love with the concept. I'd been a cannabis smoker since a teenager, um, but uh, I didn't know anything about the whole Reefer Madness conspiracy. That was totally new to me. And so, uh, Upon learning that, I realized that, in fact, my family had been, you know, kind of duped by these bankers and corporate interests and uh, had their most valuable resource taken away from them. And so uh, I decided that the story of cannabis needed to be told and that, you know, as the information about the uses of cannabis and why it was made illegal, uh, came out that eventually there would be no choice but to legalize it because it's absurd to not have it legal. And so uh, that was when I struck out writing a book and decided to move from Vancouver to Victoria um, for some personal reasons, but also because it was the capital city and seemed to be a, a good place as any to uh, make some change happen. Shortly after moving to Victoria, I began to learn a lot more about the medical uses of cannabis. And uh, at the meetings I was was having, patients would come up to me telling me their stories. And then I met a woman who volunteered in the AIDS community in town that made uh, cookies and brownies and sobs. And I got to meet some AIDS patients that were using cannabis, uh, not just smoking, but, but edibly. Uh, to deal with their nausea and other symptoms from AIDS. And I would meet uh, men who had gotten very ill with AIDS. Uh, and this was in, uh, you know, 95, 96, um, where uh, getting AIDS was... Uh, oh, sorry. Is that right? Um, <laughs> yeah, um, good, good. Only one ring. That was nice. <laughs> yeah. Uh, did you answer that? Oh, shit. I couldn't I'm answer it. Was they were, it was... Oh, that was somebody in the news trying to get me. Sorry, you're oh, going to have no. to edit this. We're going to get up. Ted's got some stuff going on okay, right I, now. Yeah, you're gonna, just give me a second. Okay, somebody cool. else in the news. So, uh, 
yeah, I, I would meet men that uh, had to stop work because they got too ill with AIDS. And then uh, they would start to not just smoke cannabis, but eat it. They put their weight back on and go back to work and want to live again. And, uh, and that inspired me to start the Victoria Cannabis Buyers Club. I was living in a van at the time. I got a pager and a pamphlet and just started to, you know, bike and, and deliver to anyone that needed medicine in town. Uh, and yeah, so that was, that was what really got me into the medical part there. Right on, man. Right on. So you, you were going to initially be a teacher in Japan. <laughs> and that was the plan. Yeah. So what was it? Well, I mean, I, you know, you make it sound, um, you know, there's had to been something. What was it that struck you? Like, was it just literally the 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 sheer, like, wow, this plant is helping these people that are in severe pain get back to a normal life? Was it just that? Uh, oh, pretty no. significant. Um, That's significant, but it, that that was significant. But but initially, a lot of my drive was the environmental benefits of hemp, the um, health benefits of of eating hemp. Um, and, uh, you know, just that whole, uh, economy, um, as an economist, the, the war on cannabis is, is absolutely absurd. Um, you know, you're just, you know, destroying good money after bad essentially. Um, and so, uh, but, but also, like I say, you know, the, as a farmer, so back in, in 95, 96, I was, you know, trying to buy all the hemp clothing and, and eating hemp hearts and and you know was you know pretty uh, hippy dippy about it all but uh you know the the first books that i published on hempology 101 for example were uh, all printed on hemp paper um but i couldn't get any kind of book publisher to do that because there's limited paper supply and so i would photocopy my book and then we punched holes in the side of my book binding and then would would bind it with hemp twine and basically like bind a bracelet down the back and uh and that would be my my textbook initially um so it was a completely handmade book that i was selling uh made out of hemp That's cool. um and so uh yeah a, a lot of my drive early on was that um but there was something uh very you know kind of also interesting that that affected me early on because as i was meeting these aids patients uh i also read the book uh, green gold the tree of life marijuana and magic and religion have you got your hands on that one yet i haven't i haven't i've never heard of that well, tell me the name of that you book you haven't heard of that so you don't know chris bennett yet uh the name you know i i've i've seen a lot of names i don't know that name that it's okay. tied to the things that you're tying it to now well i don't mean to tell you who your next interview will be okay. but uh Chris Bennett is the most uh, preeminent historian on cannabis and religion in the world. Um, his first book published in 95, uh, Marijuana, Green Gold, uh, or sorry, Green Gold, The Tree of Life, Marijuana and Magic and Religion. Um, it was, uh, yeah, really uh, eye-opening to hear the historical background of cannabis use in almost every major religion around the world. And, you know, to learn its its different roots. Um, Chris went on, uh, you'd also be interested in his second book, Sex, Drugs, Violence, and the Bible, where what he says about cannabis kind of pales in comparison to some of the other things that he talks about uh, that were written about in the Bible. He sort of 
translates what was said in the, in the Bibles into somewhat more realistic terms. Um, and so uh, in Chris's first book, though, he talks uh, a lot about uh, cannabis as the tree of life. And uh, in many ways, uh, he was, uh, um, you know, the one that uh, shed light on uh, the historical uses of cannabis within the Christian traditions and Judeo-Christian traditions for that matter. And so, uh, yeah, it really struck me when he told the, the stories of, of Jesus uh, going around um, with uh, an anointing oil made out of cannabis that was healing the lepers. When I had just was just meeting this woman who was making a cannabis oil and sob that was curing cancers and, you know, all these other skin problems. So, you know, the, the two things hit me at once. I'm like, you know, just for the first time in my life, seeing like a cannabis oil and starting to realize like cannabis is good for all these different things and all these different ways. And then I'm reading about a book that says this was historically used by Jesus to help heal the sick um, because it had been prohibited from their use. Um, and so I grew up in, in a United church Um and so uh, for the most part, I, I wasn't practicing it in any sense, um, but uh, I, I knew enough about the, the life of Jesus to understand that, you know, he would be that guy that would go around and go, what do you mean these people can't use this anointing oil? It's really good for him. I'm going to give it to him. Like, you know, it just seemed like that would be something that I would do too. And here I am in the 20th century and uh you know people 21st maybe it was the 21st century tad with the 21st well, century that, no, this was last this was oh, that's 25 true. At the time, years you're right. ago no, right? you're right yeah. i'm sorry <laughs> you're right <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah it really struck me that uh this was something that was uh uh very important to uh to do and uh and and yeah so that that really you know affected me because you know, before that point, I thought that a lot of the, the war on cannabis was rather recent, you know, that uh, um, prohibition was something that had happened uh, in the last, uh, you know, 100 years or so. But it didn't seem like there had been this you know long fight over the, the ability to use cannabis at all that now seems, you know, to have very clearly happened. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it's really... Uh, really a combination of, you know, kind of my environmentalism and, and my uh, compassion for other people. Um, and then this kind of like historical, you know, sense of duty that, you know, we need to stand up to, to authorities with, with bad laws. That makes sense, man. That makes sense. Now you said uh, you, what, you grew up in the United Church. Is that what you said? Yeah, United Church. Well, yeah, I call not... it Christian light. Okay. Is that what you said, Christian <laughs> What's that? What's what was that like, man? What was that like? Um, well, you know, like, for how the would most you define? part, uh, the, the United Church is a very gentle religion to be in. You know, like they don't really uh ram hell down your throat uh as as harshly as, as other religions will. Um, they don't have as, as many rules to prescribe to. Um, you know, it's just it's pretty basic, like be good to your neighbors kind of stuff, right? Um, and, uh, yeah, my boy scout, uh, troop was, was in my church and, uh, I continued to go to church. We had a, a closed circuit camera to an old folks home and 
I was like 20 years old, still going and running the camera for the old folks every week. Um, you know, it was, uh, yeah, a good community of people. Um, and so, uh, but, but it just never really appealed to me, um, as I, as I grew up and, and grew older and, uh, you know, some of the, uh, um, I, ideals seemed very, uh, very ancient and, uh, and yeah, I just kind of moved on and I guess kind of embraced more of a pagan lifestyle than a, a traditional religious one. Okay. Well, we're going to get to that in a little bit, man. That's the second half. <laughs> How you view the world now. But um, I want to ask you a question about a bunch of observations of cannabis in society across Canada, across America, North America. Your observations of it. I I'm, I'm imagine that you have uh, international reach because of what you've done and the interest that it's garnered. But I also imagine that um, you have observations of these things and what is it let's start with canada what's your observations of what's going on with marijuana in canada i know you said health canada and i understand and i've had i got a lot of canadian guests on my show man you're one of many sherry bennett has been a great person and i've met a lot of people and uh and as i understand it and i might be wrong because i don't live there the medical side is it appears to be going to the wayside and and for the for the profitability of the recreational side but there are people with real medical needs that still need to have those products in place something that does that does that kind of make sense is that am i am i off am i on that, that, that's it in a nutshell like uh you know legalization uh happened because patients and their caregivers like me just fought tooth and nail uh against the prohibition of cannabis and Health Canada has had a medical marijuana program for over 20 years now, but it's never been adequate. Um, there's still some serious flaws in their program. Uh, for example, Health Canada will not allow a medical storefront. So, uh, you know, they will. Uh, yeah, it's it's just bizarre. Um, you say it won't they, allow a medical storefront. What do you mean? Um, the recreational stores that are licensed are not allowed to say anything about the medicinal uses of their products. Ah. Um, and uh, if a cancer patient walks in and says that they have this problem, they're basically told like, we're not allowed to give you any information like that. Um, I can't tell you, I can't, they can't refer them to products. They can tell them how to use them, but if they, you know, they're very limited in what they can say. Um, and, you know, they can't walk into a place where they can talk to a pharmacist or a healthcare professional and get really good, clear information about drug interactions and, you know, other concerns that they have uh, when they are fighting serious diseases. Um, and so, yeah, there's no store that like specializes in medical products. In fact, a lot of stores are taking medical products off the shelf because they don't sell quickly and their staff are trying to dodge around questions. So... I've heard of stores taking capsules off the shelves and solves off the shelves and stuff. So patients have no choice at all when they go into them. And uh, so, so yeah, like, you know, at one point um, when it was illegal, there were uh, hundreds of stores across Canada that were operating illegally um, that were all medical. Like, you know, the city of Vancouver started to license stores uh, for medical purposes 
um, when we were fighting to the Supreme Court of Canada, because one of the very obvious flaws at that point was the lack of edibles. Because until 2015, Health Canada fought and argued that uh, smoking cannabis was the only safe and effective way to use it as medicine. And they did they and argue, so, made that argument from until when? 2015. Wow. Yeah. Through like the, they through fought the, us through, to the through Supreme the Court tobacco of crisis, through the tobacco scandal and all that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. They, they continued to argue until the Supreme Court of Canada and this unanimous decision said, no, you're absolutely wrong. These products need to be made legal. Um, and, and it was only the Supreme Court of Canada that could force them into doing it because we had lower court decisions that, that they were fighting and arguing against straight to the bitter end. Um, and so, uh, yeah, that's been, uh, you know, one of the terrible problems. But, but that was why years ago, the city of Vancouver and Victoria started to license dispensaries because anybody with half a brain could see that that was a, a problem and that there was a need. And the lower courts were backing us up to say that there's, this needs to be fixed. But instead of fixing it, Health Canada just fought to the bitter end against it. Um, and so uh, when they did come down with uh, regulations for edibles, they came up with a 10 milligram limit on, a, on one product, which for patients that are fighting cancer or opioid addictions and stuff is just bare minimal. Um, I'm sure you've heard of the Rick Simpson protocol, which advises patients to use a thousand milligrams a day. And so we have suppositories, for example, that have 250 milligrams of THC in them. Cancer patients will use those four times a day. That keeps the cancer at bay. They would have to use 100 suppositories, which is really just not practical in any way, shape, or form. Plus, the cost would be driven up astronomically. And so, uh, yeah, between the 10 milligram limit uh, and the lack of medical storefronts, uh, Health Canada has some serious flaws with their medical programs, even after 20 years. And so when recreational cannabis came into effect, all those stores that were in existence before that were under the medical marijuana uh, framework uh, got shut down and replaced by recreational stores. And uh, the prices are higher and the quality is less. And so most people that use cannabis on a very regular basis as medicine have gone to the black market and the internet has just gone crazy with sales these days. Um, and, uh, you know, it's something that because they didn't even in any way, shape or form trying to include the existing cannabis industry in legalization, in fact, have done everything they could to replace it. We now have these two competing uh, markets at play because, uh, you know, if they would have gone in a, in a better route and, and helped everyone in the, the industry become legal, uh, then there, there'd be, uh, yeah, we'd be in a different situation. Uh, but they've tried to, to tax and, and regulate it uh, as much as they possibly can here, um, which has allowed for a prolific black market to continue to exist. Um, and so patients have had absolutely no advantages, uh, really, from legalization, except now they can, like, carry it on a plane. There are some advantages, you know, certainly for recreational users. So for recreational users, it's, it's actually been, been pretty decent in many places. You know, there's been, you know, a few of the bigger cities like Vancouver, where the quality and price might have gone down. Uh, but in a lot of other cities, there weren't dispensaries, and now there are. Um, and the freedom to travel and to, to smoke uh, without being, you know, condemned so easily uh, has been wonderful. 
but from the industry side, it's been an absolute disaster. And uh, most companies now on the legal and illegal side are facing very tight margins. Uh, there's a lot of companies that are considering bankruptcy on the legal side. And I hear more and more growers on the, the illegal side that are just shutting down and, and getting a, uh, getting another job because it's just not, not worth it for them anymore either. Hmm. So that's the observation of the current view of Canada, huh? That's where it's going, man. Ooh, yeah, sounds a little bleak, man. There's some optimism in there. Um, <laughs> I well, I believe there is. I can look at your face. And I think there is. Oh yeah, I just like, gotta ask. You know, as as time goes on, uh, more and more things keep opening up, and and attitudes are changing. Um, regulations are are incrementally being changed as the businesses that are starting to go bankrupt learn to lobby. Um, because this industry in Canada just has never really lobbied before, you know, like in a, it was almost awkward how it became legal. Um, it wasn't due to a lobby effort, certainly not because the government considered cannabis good. Finally, um, it, uh, yeah, it was strictly about controlling the industry and taxing it. Um, and, but, uh, you know, there, there seems to be changes coming down the pike, uh, Hopefully we'll start getting some lounges soon because that's been one of the other drawbacks is there's actually less cannabis lounges now than there were when it was prohibited. And, I'm looking uh, forward to those. I'm looking forward to those. I think, I think a lounge, right? would, I think it'd be a great, fantastic. I think it'd be cool. Oh, it's, uh, you know, such a, an obvious direction to go in um, and something like that we have actually had, uh, but we'll probably be losing in the, the move that we're up against here. Um, but yeah, having a place for people to safely medicate and gather is a critical part of this, uh, this sort of industry. Um, and, uh, yeah, so they're, they're slowly coming along, uh, you know, um, but, uh, yeah, I think we're, we're still going to have a, a few tough years here. Uh, I don't see advertising restrictions uh, being lifted anytime soon. So here in Canada, it's, it's very heavily regulated. Uh, what kind of restrictions, tobacco. what kind of restrictions are you up it's basically the same as tobacco, right? Where you just can't advertise under any conditions at all. Like your company logo can't be anywhere, can't be, uh, you know, on posters or like they just, you know, have uh, yeah, very, very little opportunity for businesses to sponsor anything that can get their name on it. So uh, I know they're advocating against that, but uh, yeah, these changes are happening very slowly. What about for uh, what about for the United States? What do you think? What are your observations of the U.S.? Well, um, it's been phenomenal to see how things have progressed in the United States. Honestly, um, it's great to see how many states have got better laws than we do here in Canada. <laughs> um, you know the uh, um, the environment in the United States uh, is uh, a lot more. Um, I guess, you know, focused on uh, profitability from the, the business point of view. Um, here in Canada, our, our government has, has heavily controlled and regulated it far more than Americans would put up with. Um, and so uh, it's, it's great to see how, you know, I, I realize there's a few big companies trying to dominate, but it, it appears to me that in most states uh, you have 
you know, dozens and dozens and hundreds of, of these small companies that are just scrambling to get into the, the industry. Um, and uh, while the government hasn't been able to, to get around some of the federal laws, um, you know, for the most part, uh, it's, it's been uh, amazing to watch happen. You know, here in Canada, it's been very controlled. For example, when, when cannabis became legal, um, the day of legalization, there, there was not a single store in British Columbia that had got through the licensing process yet. The British Columbia government stalled so much that it took time before they even got people's license applications through their bureaucracy. When they finally did, the first store to get licensed in British Columbia was a government-owned store. And so, like, they own, and, and they also own the distribution rights. So if you're a retailer in British Columbia, you have to buy it from a warehouse that's owned by the government of British Columbia and pay them a cut because they're the middleman between everybody. And now they've started to open it up so that a retailer can buy directly from a grower, but they've still got to pay the same cut to the provincial government that they would as if that pot got shipped to the warehouse and then to the retailer. So there's absolutely no economic advantage to buy it directly off the grower because the government's taken the same cut that they do no matter what you try to, to get around. Um, so that's the, the over-regulated uh, environment that we're here, we have here in Canada. In the United States, I don't see that, that sort of uh, ruthless government interference in business activity. You know, the United States, you guys fight far more for independence and, and to, to make money. And in Canada here, we're, we're pretty, pretty poorly organized um, in, in that aspect. And our government just kind of runs over us at times. Um, and so I, I see in a very short time here, the United States truly, you know, leading the way and, and taking over not just the, the cannabis marijuana industry uh, around the world uh, quite, quite effectively, but also uh, getting back into hemp and really producing the the full range of food and and building products and and all the things that hemp can do because that's another really important thing is you've got a lot of farmers down there that need good cash crops and you know if we start producing small scale factories that can make insulation and press boards and hemp fuel like every small town in in Canada and America should have a hemp fuel processing factory where a farmer can can drive up with their, you know, a uh, wagon full of seed and, 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 and sell it to, to the company and have it processed into hemp fuel right there. So they can turn around and take a hemp bag or a, a sorry, a, a container of hemp fuel back to the farm and that they would use that on all their farming equipment and everything. So they'd be completely energy sufficient and, and protein sufficient just on their, their farms by just growing a portion of it as, as hemp. And so, you know, I really see that America is going to be the, the driving factor in, in making hemp uh, available to people and, and putting it in the marketplace, which to me is, is far more substantial than, than cannabis. Like, sure, cannabis is great. It's incredible medicine. It's going to help us heal from all these things. But the environmental disasters that are threatening everyone's lives uh, are really uh, critical to deal with as well. And uh, as Jack Hare used to say, you know, cannabis might not be able to save the world, but it's the only plant that can. And, uh, you know, I, I firmly believe that. And so uh, I, I really think as, as things progress in the United States, that will, will really take hold. Right on, man. Right on.
I do hear the optimism. Now, man, now, now I can feel it coming out of you, Ted. I can feel it coming out of you, man. What about the world? What I going to stick with this. What about the what the Western Hemisphere, man? Okay, well, um, the world is is waking up here. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, okay, the Western Hemisphere. Well, yeah, um, we got a lot of Central and South America right here. Man, there's a lot of right? stuff going on, right? Yeah, Caribbean, Central South America. Um, well, certainly, uh, you know, it's it's like a domino effect happening uh, around uh, you know the, the Americas and 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 a lot of the world. Um, but it is something that has been uh, very much part of many cultures here in North America and South America um, that has been been suppressed for a very long time. And, uh, you know, clearly there's a lot of people in, in Mexico and, and Jamaica and, and Colombia and, and other places that uh, resent the war on drugs entirely and, and, and don't want any part of it. And so, uh, you know, I think that that this is going to have a, a wonderful effect in, in those countries. Um, and in a way, not even as much economically as, as just socially, right? Because I can see a lot of countries uh, and people in, in those countries in South America and, and Central America, you know, just growing their own, right? They, they, they won't have to rely on, on getting products, you know, from a store down the street because they've got, beautiful weather here in Canada, you know, we've kind of got to work really hard to grow a good crop. Whereas, you know, there's a lot of other places, uh, you know, you just got to have some seeds in your backyard and, you know, and, or your neighbor does, and, you know, you'll never be buying it and you'll have the freedom to use it and to make medicines out of it. And, and so, you know, I, I, I don't see it as being as, as big of a, an ec economic impact in a lot of these other countries. But in terms of the, the social impact and the, the health benefits and, and the community aspect that comes with, you know, sharing and smoking herb and, and singing some songs and, and just, you know, uh, and enjoying the company of others and playing games like, you know, that's the sort of thing that makes communities richer and stronger. Um, and, uh, you know, we can save our money for traveling or something, but, uh, you know, it, it's something that, uh, you know, I, I see having, you know, different effects in different countries, depending on how focused they are on capitalism. Like I say, countries like Canada and the United States, we're, we're all about making money in capitalism. So, you know, that's that's the first place it's going to go to. Um, but I, I know of even places in, in Canada where people are, are growing so much pot now, uh, it's it's pretty much free or, or close to it because, you know, like growing your own is the, the best way to use this medicine and making your own medicines and stuff. So, you know, as the freedom to do that grows, uh, I really see that being something that uh, uh, takes on more importance in people's lives. So I did I did a, an episode last year with Kim Saltarski. He's, uh, he's from Canada and uh, he had a stage three cancer. And he was talking to me about how he grows his own marijuana and then also presses his own oil. And I was like, wow, that would save a lot of money, man. That would save right. a lot of money. Yeah. Pretty impressive. Let me, I, I got a question for you, man. This one I didn't give to you, but it, it's nothing, nothing outlandish, not spring anything on you. What are your thoughts on, because I had a couple guests and one of them brought up the concept of mass production, how it, how, and he used tobacco. He said, you know what? Something just changed. And I'm not talking about just the greed where 
where people, human beings were making it more like, you know, they're, they were trying intentionally trying to make people addicted, but just, he, he brought up, there's just something with the processing of it that changes the efficacy of it. What do you, what do you think about that? Cause we were talking, then, then I had another conversation with somebody else and it was, it was a mass production craft cannabis. So that's the kind of thing that that's, what are your thoughts on that, man? Well, I've always been heavily on the, the small garden, um, you know, craft uh, angle. Um, in fact, uh, you know, we've really worked hard to try and maintain relationships with these small kind of ma and pa growers, as they're known of. Um, for a while there, I was even insisting that they didn't sell to any other sources because that was, you know, sort of dangerous for them. And I wouldn't be able to protect them fully like I could if they were growing exclusively for a club. Um and then, uh, yeah, I think things changed a little bit, but for a while we, we sort of had that working quite well. Um, but uh, now with, with so much cannabis being grown, uh, it really is hard to turn down, um, you know, much cheaper cannabis that's grown fairly well because, you know, there's a lot of gardens out there, the hundred lights or more here that, uh, you know, produce decent medicine. Um, but they can sell it a lot cheaper than someone that's got, you know, 10 or 15 lights. Um, but uh, that being said, you know, most of the cannabis that our club sells is grown by these small producers that we've worked with for, in some cases, over 20 years. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it's, it's meant the world to me uh, to do that, in part because I can tell that uh, when a person has fewer plants, um, they put a lot more time and energy into the garden um, and it produces better medicine. Um, they're paying attention to things like powdery mildew and, and bugs. And um, there's even something to be said about the exchange of oxygen uh, when you're in the grow room with the plant that they, they benefit from that. Um, but uh, yeah, I've, I've always found that people that have smaller gardens uh, tend to, pay a lot more attention to making sure it grows well because they're they're like really counting on that little crop they're, they're not expecting you know all sorts of money they the few plants they have are really important to them um and so they they do a better job uh because of that um and so uh here in canada we've seen that you know pretty much every large grow facility that's been built in the last few years by these lps uh, has been shut down now. Um, they okay. may have been uh, quite uh, functional um, in terms of the uh, logistics, but you know, trying to deal with things like powdery mildew and and bugs when you know, these massive facilities just isn't practical. And so, uh, yeah, most of them have been turned into uh, food production facilities now. Um, hmm. Well, thanks, man. That's because that 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 seems to be the way I think of it too. It's kind of like okay, yeah, I can see what you can look at mass production of things and go, yeah, something happens between here and there that takes away, and and when you're looking at specific things for specific ailments, it's quite precise, and and that's what's that's what's interesting about this, just learning about all this, right? Because I mean the world's walking into this <laughs> the world is walking into this first year country now and then mine's my you know mine's following suit there, of course others have done it i know things uruguay did it but they can you have to be a citizen you know you can't go there and, and 
have a good time and then leave. You know, they're not going to let you do that yeah. legally, right? But it's changing. And it's just thinking about it like that and helping people understand these things can help targeted ailments and diseases. It's that amazing. It's that it's that profound. Now, I want to go. I want to go to the second half of the of the podcast right now, man. But I want to ask you this too. You want to share anything with listeners about what you got going on in 2023? Well, um, this is looking to be a a pretty incredible year for us. Uh, We've gone through a lot in the last few years, raids and a fine, and recently we've been evicted from the building that we've operated in for over two decades. And so uh, there's been a lot of stuff uh, happening in the last year. Um, But it seems as though we found the perfect home to move to. And so uh, we're really excited about our new landlord. The the physical location isn't quite as nice as what we've had. Um, And we will be losing our smoking lounge, which really sucks, honestly. Um, Hopefully we can find something out or figure something out, uh, you know, uh, building an outdoor facility or something around. Um, but uh, the relationship with the landlord uh, is going to be amazing for us. And um, basically we're moving into the back of a methadone clinic. And so uh, the pharmacist uh, sees us being a, um, a benefit to his clients that we complement each other so that when people are looking to get off opioids, uh, they, he can send them to us and uh, we can help them out with their different options. So um, it really uh, integrates us into the harm reduction field in a way that uh, has never happened before. And so we're, we're really quite, quite pleased about that. It's going to take a couple months, um, but uh, we're getting some help from the city of Victoria to, to do this. And uh, we just had a meeting with the city this morning, in fact, uh, to, to try to get um, some uh, licensing from the city, um, even though we can't get licenses, licenses a cannabis retailer, um, we may be able to get some help uh, from from the city, and uh, hopefully we'll be having our court cases uh, coming up this year, because I'm very confident in our constitutional arguments. Um, we just have to be able to get in front of a judge to make them, and so there's been delays after delays. Uh, to do that uh hopefully uh not too much longer though um but uh yeah uh, this you know could be a a pretty incredible year if we move into this new facility and and get a positive court decision uh it could become quite busy (laughs) that's cool that sounds that's amazing man i mean i also know a lot of people that and i agree with cannabis being an exit drug not an entry drug it's an exit drug. That's right. cool. That's very cool, man. All right. So we're about to kick into the second half of this thing. You know, you said you were you were raised as a child. You're raised in the United Church, right? Yeah. About up to what age? I mean, like, did you did you do it? Well, like I say, I was going to church uh, once a month until I was twenty. Okay. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was really when I went to university and, and got involved in university uh, and, and that it, it really, you know, kind of took me away from that. And when it comes to, now we're getting out, we're, we're definitely switching gears. So it's going to be kind of a hard <laughs> switch up here, right? 
Because we're gonna okay. we're gonna we're gonna be a hard switch up, but we're gonna do it. <laughs> the universe and all life in it. Do you think it's a result of a series of accidents? Or you think there is an intelligent designer behind it? Um well that is the, the big question. It sure <laughs> is, man. It sure. The one I think I it's one I think we think about a lot, but a lot of people don't talk about it. I mean, with with uh with the kind of intent that it requires in in an individual's life. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. What do you think, um, man? What do you think, Ted? Well, um, you know, it really does touch on a, a, a number of issues. Um, but, uh, yeah, I guess uh, fundamentally, I, I believe that, uh, you know, life is a, a series of, of chances more than it is uh, some uh, grand design. Um, you know, there is certainly, you know, patterns and, and uh, you know, amazing things that happen uh, within that chance uh kind of uh, paradigm if you would call it that um but uh yeah i guess uh for for a few reasons uh you know the uh the idea of of having uh an, an entity um that somehow uh set up or or created and 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 controlling in any of this world is it's hard for me to uh to accept um and uh and and also on a, on a personal level because then that would be to me kind of like giving up control of my life uh to say that uh it, it doesn't matter what i want to do it's all been decided for me um i i don't think that i could really uh do very well uh under those types of circumstances um i'm uh, much more inclined to be challenged and to to think that uh you know, if there's there's opportunities in the world, uh, they come to me because of, you know, timing and effort and, and other things rather than, you know, God designed it that way. Um, and, and I also have seen some some pretty terrible things happen. And so, uh, you know, the world is full of beauty and, and good, uh, but the world has a lot of dark and, and ugly. And, and I've seen some terrible things happen to good people. And I've seen some really good things happen to terrible people. And so it's really hard for me to justify why some people that are, are in my opinion, not worthy of, of, of amazing things to, to, to be given them and have these relatively easy lives and then have other people like my love, Gail, um, die, uh, you know, prematurely from cancer um, and, and things like that. Have, you know, so it's, it's, it's hard for me to, 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 to think that, uh, um, it, it's all being done under some kind of grand design or some sort of, you know, real uh, conscious awareness. Um, I'm much more inclined to think that Mother Nature is, is unconscious in her behavior um, and that, uh, you know, there's uh, a, a lot of things that, that bind us together and, 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 and make life magical. Um, and, 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 and again, like, I don't know if that, there would be magic if it's all a grand design and nothing's magical in the world to me. Whereas magic can happen when there's chance, when, when things are unpredictable. Um, that, that to me is, is where, where magic can, can really occur. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I guess that's my, 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 my answer to that.
That's cool, man. That's cool. I cool. I understand. All right, man. You ready for the next one? Sure. It's a, it's, they're, they're closely related. Mm-hmm. Do you believe in life after this life? And if you do, do you believe there's some form of payment due upon death? Um, I believe we transform that our energy just doesn't disappear. Um, but I'm, did you pause there? What? No, we're here. We're still here. Okay. You were just all still. And I'm like, wait. I was, I was, I was listening intently. I was listening. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody uh, else can see my face. That's the funny thing about doing audio. I always say this every now and then, but it's, it's funny, man. Cause I only, I don't publish video. Right. I mean, I'm going to go to YouTube this year, but, uh, but it's one of those moments where it's kind of like, oh, you almost get, it's a funny thing, this audio thing. So go ahead, my friend, go ahead. There. Um, yeah, so uh, I, I believe that, that our energy transforms um, into another state. Um, but I'm not really uh, one to believe that there's any sort of uh, you know punishment or, or that the next phase of our life is determined on how you know, kind of good or bad we are in, in this one. Um, so I, I don't believe in like reincarnation into, to, you know, other, other spirits, although I, I, you know, I don't dismiss it either. Um, cause I don't really know, like our, our energy leaves this body and whether it can become attached to other, uh, life forms, uh, after in this, this plane of existence, uh, is, is kind of a guess to me. Um, and, uh. You know, I, I, I would imagine it's possible, but I don't think it's necessary. You know, I think that, you know, we could pass on into this life and, and kind of move on into a different form of energy and not cling to this sort of physical world here. Um, but I think some people may do that and be reincarnated into other people or other animals. You know, I don't I don't dismiss that idea. Um, but I don't think that we go somewhere where, you know, we're, we're sort of judged or or, uh, you know, uh, it's determined that because you lived one way, you can go here and you lived differently, you can go there. Um, yeah. Right on, man. That's cool. That's cool. Now, I didn't ask you this question, but I'm curious because I didn't ask and I should have asked. Do you have any kids? No, I don't. No. Okay. None that I know of. What's that? None that I know of. Oh, man. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> have you are your are your parents still alive? Uh my my dear mother is, but my dad passed a few years ago from heart attacks. I'm sorry about that, man. When your dad passed, did that impact the way you view the world and meaning and purpose and destiny and, and a life after this life? Not, not really. Um, my mom and I have been super close, um, but uh, I had moved uh, to British Columbia um, by the time my dad passed, and uh, yeah, he passed peacefully in his garden, um, and uh, yeah, it didn't really uh, shake my my foundations too much, um, honestly. Uh, he had a bad heart for a very long time and we were blessed to have him live uh, as long as he did. Um, but, and, and it, so it wasn't really, you know, profound or shocking uh, that it happened when it did. Um, I, I hate to think what will happen when my mother passes because uh, we're, we've always been much closer. I understand. 
I understand. I'm glad I don't have any other questions, man. But I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed it. I wish I was publishing this for video because that's a cool beard, and I like your hat too, man. I dig the style. I like it. I like it a lot. It'll be a good video, man. Maybe again in the future we'll do it that way. I want to give you the last okay. word, man. You want to say anything? Anything you want to say to anybody? Everybody. Well, I think for Christians that are looking at cannabis and uh, what it means to them and, and to the history of Christianity, I, I think, honestly, I'm going to direct you to Chris Bennett and his work. Uh, he's got several videos and, and books out there. I'll check them um, out. I'll check them out. Because, uh, you know, learning uh, the history of cannabis has been fundamental to, to my beliefs and understanding. And, uh, yeah, it's just uh, been... Uh, something that uh, I, I firmly believe in, in the spiritual essence of the world. Um, I'm just not so much on organized religion, uh, but uh, certainly, uh, you know, there uh, is a, a spiritual connection uh, that we all have uh, with the earth and with each other uh, that we have been uh, cut off oh from, uh, for uh, some very uh, yeah, backwards reasons. Um, but I think it's wonderful to see how many people are, are trying to, to reconnect uh, to each other and, and to the planet. And I think that the cannabis plant is the most uh, available way for us to do that, where we can truly you know, heal the, the nations uh, with, this, with this plant. Because um, you, you didn't use the quote yet, but in Revelations, it's written that uh, at the end of days, the tree of life will grow on the two banks of the river of life and it will be for the healing of the nations and so uh you know it's it's really you know very uh uh clear to me uh, how cannabis as as the years and the decades go by will become uh integral part of our lives in, in every way our buildings will be made out of it our food will be made out of it our clothing uh, will be made out of it uh you know their fuel will be made out of it like you know, cannabis will become uh, the, the dominant sort of plant species in, in the world by far. Um, but it will also help us heal spiritually from this disconnect that we've had uh, from the planet and from each other. And you see that when you go to gathering. That's why we said about having lounges are just so enriching because, you know, when you are around people and you're enjoying the herb, there's, there's a certain magic that comes from that. And people are laughing and and sharing intimate thoughts and 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 coming up with amazing ideas and things and you know that's what what cannabis can can bring to us is that sense of community that nothing else can do so yeah it's a really a fascinating time to be alive and to see all these transitions happening amen man i agree that is cool thank you ted thank you thank you thank you for reaching out to me absolutely man I'm, thanks me, for accepting the invitation too of course Thank you very much. Okay, here we go, man. I'm going to close this thing out. You ready, dude? All right, let's go. do it. Because, you know, I almost want to read your whole bio again, but, but, uh, because it, it's, it's, that's that. And it's just like, wow, it's amazing, man. But our special guest, this is the Conversation Cannabis and Christianity podcast. Our special guest is Ted Smith. He's the founder of the Victoria Cannabis Buyers Club in Victoria, British Columbia, Canada, Canada, since 1996. He's been an advocate for, medical patients using marijuana since then and before and he's still doing it now thank you very much for your time ted thank you for having me love you all many blessings